You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing, monthly, and extremely nerdy conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom, paying attention to the way these films have shaped our imaginations, or are shaping our imaginations, I guess, as we get into this more modern era. Uh, Anyway, hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience, have some fun too. Cuddle close, scooch in, and promise me we do this together. As we break through the mist into the enchanted woods of Disney's 58th film in the canon, 2019's Frozen 2, I hope you're prepared. Angry magical spirits are not for the faint of heart. Joining me as always, I've always feared that his powers were too much for this podcast. Now we must pray they are enough. It's Michael Farmer. How you doing, Josh? You are older than me, so I think that means you know everything. Is that the? Is, is that what I? That's, that's is that right. what I'm given to understand? Yes, that's right. Just just wait till you reach my age, Michael. <laughs> In a couple months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a, a weird and cute little subplot, I guess, of uh, Olaf um, uh, discovering, growing, I guess. I mean, he's kind of a weird creature. It's, it's unclear to me how he's aging or not aging, but apparently he's he's... He's becoming more poetic as he as he matures. It's <laughs> some funny lines. Uh, I, I feel like like a lot of things in this movie, it was not very well explored. The stuff with Olaf getting older, but on the other hand, I hate to recommend that there be more Josh Gad in something. Yeah, I know he's not your favorite. I feel like you touched on the my big criticism slash praise of this movie. I'll just lay my cards on the table right here in the in the first minute of the podcast. Um, I do feel like. Uh, this film was ambitious is the is, is my positive spin on it. Um, it was trying to do a lot. Um, and so I, I can't fault it for that. You know, I'd rather that they were being ambitious than not, uh, especially considering it's a sequel. You would right. Think, it's definitely you know, not a Home Alone 2 Lost in New York sequel where yep. it's beat for beat the original movie. It's a totally yes. different movie. Yes, absolutely. So praise for that. You know, I would I would rather that they swing for the fences. Um, I, I think in a lot of ways it was a swing and a miss because of exactly what you said. They left a lot that was unexplored. And like I said, I credit that to the ambition of the movie. I feel like they were they were uh, they were trying to do a lot. Um, they had a lot of different characters that they were trying to you know give them all um, some something interesting to do and an interesting arc. And I don't know that they landed it fully for any of them <laughs> because they were trying to juggle so much. But you know, praise where praise is due. Uh, way to way to swing for the fences. They they de- they definitely did not have to. Like uh, you know the Disney uh, the era that we're in and the Disney that we know, um, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's been many, many, uh, sequels out there that were, 
you know, subpar to the original, not because it was overly ambitious, but because it was underly ambitious. So, right. I, I would say this is even more different from the original than Ralph Bricks the Internet was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, this was this was a very, very different movie. Had some of the same, um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, there's definitely callbacks, you know, for sure there was a lot of callbacks, but um, d- despite the callbacks, the, the whole tone and feel of the movie was very different than the first one. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of on the Marvel, um, on the kind of the Marvel model on that, don't you think, where where each, each movie in a franchise has a totally different tone than the one that came before it. I'm thinking like, Captain America versus Captain America, the winter soldier mm-hmm. like that. Yes. They, they exist in different universes almost. I mean, they're, they're in the same universe in the sense that the characters carry over, but it's like a totally, it's a totally different kind of movie. And I would say the same, same is true here of frozen too. Yeah. The, the Marvel thing I think is an interesting comparison. I felt the, the thing that I saw the, the Marvel influence on the Disney um, was in Olaf's like retelling of frozen. Was, was felt very marvelly to me because they often like you know in the thor movies uh you know they have these ridiculous plays uh starring matt damon <laughs> you know that reenacting the other movies um in ant-man they have uh i can't remember the guy's name but you know they have ant-man basically retelling uh not ant-man but one of one of his cronies you know retelling the the original movie to catch you up to speed and and they did the same sort of comedic retelling uh, with with Olaf here. Yeah, assuming that there was somebody in the world who hadn't seen the original Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not actually sure you would even need to see the original Frozen. I think it this this does stand alone on its own for better or for worse. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know that you would necessarily need to know. And especially I think uh, again, I'm I'm not trying to uh to overly criticize the movie, but I think even to the point of, you know, some of the ways the characters behave were almost um, completely opposite of the way they 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 were in the first movie. Anna, especially, I feel like. Yeah, so tell me more about that because Anna Anna does feel different. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in Anna and the first one, Anna was the jump into adventure, don't think about anything, you know, just you know, marry the first guy you meet, you know, like uh, you run off into the woods without even winter or into the, you know, into the snow without even winter, you know, apparel, like uh, because, you know, she's got to go after her sister. Like, you know, there, there was just there was no hesitation in anything that she did. Whereas in this movie, she is uh, constantly all the way through it. The voice of caution, the voice of safety, the voice of don't do this. Um, yeah. So I just I found that uh, to be a little. It was an interesting choice, I guess I should say. Do, do you think they had some sort of thematic reason for doing that? Or do you think it's just sloppy writing? Well, I um, I don't want to criticize them of sloppy writing without knowing all the details. You know, there's a, uh, there's a I guess, a pretty, uh, pretty thorough and, um, like, well received uh making of of this movie like a whole documentary series right which this, I did, is, this is one of the first movies to come out after disney plus so they, right they yeah. put all the, the bonus stuff up there yep and i did not watch it um yeah me part, neither why would i do that right well <laughs> i i usually do you know and i actually would be willing to go back and watch this one part of it was time and part of it was i was worried that because it's so thorough that we'd end up just you know re recapping that thing which i didn't want to do um so, but anyway, I, I don't know. I don't know if the answer is in there as far as the development of this movie, the changes they went through. I think um, 
thematically, it's hard for me to say that there was a real thematic reason for her to be the safety one this time. Right. Um, All I can but, think of is that she almost died in the last one. And that she is a little bit older than she was. And maybe that like put the brakes on it. But it doesn't explain why Elsa is the opposite of she was in the original as well. So, yeah. It, no, keep going. Sorry. No, I don't I don't have anything else beyond that. But it does seem like they've kind of switched positions in a way that is not entirely thematically justified. Yeah. In fact, only. um. Well, I was going to say Olaf is the same as he was, but no, Olaf has this like deeper side that he calls attention to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, gosh, all I can think of is Hans now. Kristoff, excuse me. Um, Kristoff, I suppose, is mostly the same as he was in the, in the earlier movie, except his role here is so attenuated that he's not really anything for most of the movie. His, his one major, plot is that he wants to propose to Anna and can't figure out how exactly to do it. Kind of standard sit- sitcom plot. Right. Now there was a, uh, a frozen fever that took place between these movies. Um, did you, are you familiar with that? It's a short I film. know that it existed. I remember when it aired, it was on ABC, but I didn't see it. Yeah, so I didn't see it either. I, d- I don't know if, you know, some people are yelling at their at their no, podcast we're, players we're right really now. We're really bad because... host today. <laughs> well, at least, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if maybe some of the things are answered in there. I'm not sure. Um, it, to, to me, this movie felt like, you know, we have talked more than once on this, this uh, series about, you know, you can almost see the good movie poking through the cracks. This one, it just felt like there was a lot that, they they wanted to tell so much, uh, and a lot must have gotten cut, is what it feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, it's our, all, already almost two hours long. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the things that they cut maybe answered some of those questions. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. like you said, maybe it's just sloppy writing. But, like, that would be my guess, is that they, they had these big ideas, and uh, for purposes of audience and time, they had to condense a lot, and then you're left with some some weird things. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can definitely feel where they condensed it. There, there's a lot of times in the movie when it's like, oh, we're already on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. The trolls show up and give like the perfect piece of advice that everybody needs. And then 35 seconds later, they're out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a couple moments like that. I mean, the same thing I feel like happened on the on the boat with their parents. It was like they got exactly the information they needed and then move on. And uh, the um, the uh, the North. The North, uh, Northdale. No, what are they called? Um, the the people. Um, I had it in front of me because I knew I was going to mess up their name. Uh, anyway, they're the the indigenous people. You know, they they see the the um, the shawl, and then you know, thirty seconds later, oh, our mother was one of you. You know, like we just figured it out. Boom. You know, like it's just there. There's a lot of that where it's just click, click, click. Um, tell you exactly what's happening and move on. You know. And I don't know what the solution to that is, other than making this a TV series rather than a a movie. Which, in some ways, maybe they should have done that, and maybe they would two years later. You know, once once all those Marvel series started taking off, maybe this would be better off as like a six episode TV show than it would be as a as an hour and fifty minute movie. I don't know. I can't promise you that I would watch 
six episodes of it. I haven't liked the Marvel movie, the Marvel TV shows very much. I felt like they've been trying to shove too much stuff in, mm-hmm. even with the uh, even with the length and running run running span. And I'm not sure I wouldn't feel the same way about this. But it it does feel like there's a lot of gaps in this that they're just kind of expecting us to overlook. Yeah, and I mean, I guess if you're a fan of the franchise, you know, you would love something like that. You know, uh, and like you said, it's it is interesting the timing. You know, this this thing gets greenlit in 2015, um, so obviously they're working on it then. Uh, maybe what you said is more of what we see going forward. You know, rather than sequels, we see uh, more time living in the universe and exploring the universe. Yeah, it could be could be a good thing. You know, especially for for movies that you uh, you know that people really enjoy and they love. Um, it could be more of, you know, the other thing that we've complained about on this this show where everything uh, starts becoming content instead of art. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, you and, know? and this this does feel kind of halfway between content and art, doesn't it? Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know, I, I guess the, the place I, I landed on this movie is it didn't work for me. Um, I did think there was a lot of interesting things that they were doing in it you know mm-hmm. and um there there were some really beautiful sequences uh, uh, the the animation is unbelievable i read that they actually with the ocean stuff they actually had to make it less good than they wanted to because next to the ocean elsa looked fake mm-hmm. and and i could see that because the ocean a couple times really looks like the actual ocean it looks like it's like a like a video instead of a um, something created by a computer right so so i mean there, there's there's no impeaching the um the animation that yeah. that is that is 100 percent true yeah that and even pretty... the sequences i don't like like the the show me is that the name of the song sequence mm-hmm. um like the animation on that is so good that it's really hard to complain about it i mean i'm sure i'll find a way <laughs> we'll put your powers to the test <laughs> I'll yeah. do my best. <laughs> um, yeah, the the one that really impressed me was um, Into the Unknown. Uh, I I really liked the uh, the animation effects on that um, as she's like throwing her um, her you know spires of ice mist out into the world, and they're they're com- they're becoming all these different shapes. I just I thought it was really the the sort of thing that animation really does well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so as a collection of music videos, the the movie works pretty well, I think. Right, and that's I mean, the other... in in one case, literally a, mo- a music video. Oh, in which case? Um, I I don't remember the names of any of the songs. Of course, why would I? Um, <laughs> it's it's lost in the woods. The, yes, the, yeah. Which is yeah. a parody of like eighties. Uh, yes. Eighties power ballad music yeah. videos, which is funny as a as a bit, I suppose, but it doesn't make a lot of sense in the context of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess they, they wanted something for Kristoff to do. They wanted something to be Kristoff's big set piece. And he didn't get a good song in the first movie, so they gave him a good song. It's just, it feels what the um, what the TV tropes people call a big-lipped alligator moment. Something that just seems completely out of place in the rest of the movie, even though it's memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I think that's a reference to um, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Okay. <laughs> I think there's a, a, a moment in All Dogs Go to Heaven where big-lipped alligators do something. Okay. But I don't know. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. Yeah, and I know I saw it, but I, it's, it's 
it's not it's uh <clears throat> water probably has a better memory of that one than i do um yeah, uh, I mean, you said a collection of music videos. I do feel like uh, that's the other uh, feeling that this movie gave to me was uh, it was it was a music video action set piece. Music video action set piece, <laughs> you know, um, was kind of kind of the feeling of it. And I, I yeah, I, when I say that, it sounds more disparaging than I mean it to be. But that's that was it. Didn't always feel like there was something really holding all of this movie together. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, th obviously there is a plot and it, it is moving in a particular direction, but it doesn't, unless you're paying really, really, really tight attention, I don't see how you're going to follow the plot just because it moves from one thing to the next so quickly. Yeah, it kind of, it feels a little bit like a video game plot to me, mm. you know, like she has to, and <laughs> to the point where, so uh, Elsa's, you know, she's in the woods and she's, you know, there's there's four spirits, you know, earth, wind, fire, water. That, you know, I don't know if you have anything to say on that. Um, I will eventually, but not yet. OK, yeah. But anyway, you know, so she has to kind of conquer each of them or, or befriend each of them. You know, I, I kind of like that. Befriend maybe is a better way of saying it. Um, they're they're in turmoil and she has to, you know. Uh, help ease their ease their pain or their turmoil or whatever in order to move on to the next stage um and then uh but she actually she skips the uh earth one and sends anna or uh yeah anna to do it kind of i mean i don't think she's meaning to do that but that's the way the way it works out in the movie but anyway so by the time she gets to uh um show me or whatever the, the name of that song is like i i felt like you're you're missing one, you know, like you're you're getting to the boss stage before you've like completed all the other stages, you know. You you did water and and air and uh and fire, but you never dealt with earth and you know, so it's like um I don't I don't know if you've ever encountered this. Like in the old Zelda games, it was that way, you know, like you could kind of get to a place and it was like you can't move forward yet. And I kind of felt like that's where she was, like, oh actually you can't move forward because you didn't Maybe that's it. why she froze. That's why she died i guess she died right i guess that's what happens she dies and gets brought back to life later uh, that part was very confusing to me i did not understand what was happening there she I mean, went yeah, too I, far that's what anna said but like that doesn't make any sense right, i, I mean had, except i guess it, in as much as it's saying exactly what you're saying right that she hadn't completed a previous stage before she went to where she was right she, she didn't listen to the lullaby I don't, I don't, I don't know, Michael. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I, that, that part was very confusing to me. That, that part was another part where I was like, they left something on the, on the, on the cutting room floor there. That would help, that would help bring this together. Yeah. I, I mean, I felt like a, a great deal of the movie was confusing. I, I, I feel like if you didn't write the movie, the plot of the movie maybe doesn't make total sense to you. But I don't have a reason for that other than that. The movie's not sure what it wants to be exactly right is this a story is this a story about anna or is it a story about elsa is it a story about growing up and having to leave stuff behind is it a story about generational guilt is it a story about trauma like the first one is kind of a story about trauma i mean it's it's i don't know I, they 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 want it to be too many things and so it ends up kind of being nothing mm -hmm. yeah that's how i felt i mean i think um 
Yeah, on the surface, I mean, the thing Olaf at least wants it to be about is about transformation. Right. <laughs> he's really he's really pushing that as like, this is what's happening here. We're going to go into the woods and we're going to be different by the time we come out, you know? And then at the end, he's like, I'm still not quite sure what transformation means, but we're all sure different than when we came in there. It's like, okay, <laughs> you say so, Olaf, you know? Yeah, yeah. Are, um, are you though? Yeah. So, well, and I mean, and, and his song about, you know, when I'm older and his, his you know, the other song about some things never change. Uh, yeah, this this is a movie about things changing and how we deal with it um, is what the movie wants you to believe. But yeah, um, yeah the, the, you're right that nothing really changes. And people make a couple of people actually, both Anna and Elsa, make this completely impossible promise that Arendelle will always be there, which is a ridiculous thing to claim. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, no, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> all, all kingdoms rise and fall it, it, it will probably survive elsa but it's not going to always be there and promising it will is ridiculous i guess maybe in fairy tales ever there are things that last forever yeah. i don't know but i, I felt like it should have it should have paid off more about things some things never changing well actually everything does change they they had the funny line about her how she's still holding his arm holding his hand right but um, then then they kind of had their cake and ate it too, right? And that Elsa ends up coming back every Friday to play uh, charades and Olaf comes back to life and inexplicably looks exactly the same and acts exactly the same. I mean, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your point is that life is full of change and nothing is permanent, make nothing permanent instead of, um, instead of restoring everything to basically the same way it was, except Elsa has, Elsa has a different high position and Anna has a different high position. Yeah. Then there's this stuff with Anna getting inexplicably angry at Kristoff for trying to propose to her. I'm not really sure what she's supposed to be angry at him about other than a plot device to make him worry that he's losing her. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Yeah, in fairness, there's there's one moment where she does the same thing with Elsa. You know, she completely misinterprets what Elsa is saying to her. Um, so it, it seems like a, a new character quirk. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's so, like the moment where um, Olaf says he's getting angry for the first time ever. Right. And it doesn't it doesn't pay off to anything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I, yeah. I, th- I think. I think there's a lot of good possibilities inside this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're right. There's not a lot of payoff inside this movie. Even even the big emotional moment where essentially Olaf dies in Anna's arms, I don't think um I don't think carried a whole lot of emotional weight for me. Yeah. I was gonna ask if you cried at that part. Did you? No, definitely not. Yeah. I- yeah, and, and I, you know I'm not above crying in a bad movie, right? We talked about this last week that, or last that's month. Why I, I was going to ask. I the wept at uh, Ralph breaks the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why I was going to ask the question because I was wondering. You know, I, I I'm with you. I think I don't. I think I cry probably as easily as you, or you know, maybe one notch beneath you. You know, but like I. Yeah, I just I wasn't moved by this movie at all. So I, mean, I cried at the first one, and and I mean we talked about this with Hannah that like the the first movie I, I enjoyed much. I, I thought it was much less good of a movie than I did when I first saw it. But this one, I just I I don't know if I was in a bad mood when I was watching it or what. But I just it none of its attempts to get through to me emotionally got through to me. Yeah. Well, I wanted to like this movie. 
You know, I really did. Um, well, and Hannah told us it was better than the first one. So, yeah. and as I was taking, so I was primed to think, okay, this is going to be good. It yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. So, yeah, I was, I was in the, I was in the very similar position. I would, you know, I was, I was, I was willing to, to let this movie take me where it wanted, wanted me to take me, and um, I just, it didn't, it didn't move me. You know, it doesn't seem like it really knew where I wanted to take you. as part of the problem. Yeah. Well, even, I mean, so. <clears throat> So yeah, this transformation plot, if that's what it is, you know, like uh, the most the most obvious one who has changed, I guess, is Elsa has been somehow she's this fifth element and that's revealed within her, you know, that she's this fifth element. But um, I'm, I am very unclear on what that means. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the movie isn't a whole lot clearer. What does it mean to to even be an element? Is she immortal now? It, yeah, that's a maybe. I don't know. I, She's I, hanging I, out with the other forest guardians, I guess. Yeah, I feel like there's some element of the mythology of this movie that I really, I I didn't I didn't get. You know. I wonder. So a lot of this stuff is based on um, folklore from a group of indigenous Norwegians called the Sami. I think there is is how their name is pronounced. I wonder if that's part of their if if that's part of their mythos that there is a kind of human being who is a go between between the magical world and the human world. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I you know I don't know anything about the, the about that group of people. Yeah. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to say that it's not, but it, it it also seems kind of convenient that they built that into the movie. Yeah. Although isn't the point that both of them are the go-betweens that Elsa is on the magical side and Anna is on the human side? Or is, right. Or is that yeah. just something she's saying? <laughs> yeah, just to make <laughs> just to make Anna feel better. <laughs> you know, I'm the fifth element, but really, you know, a bridge has both. Sides. A bridge has two sides, but d- does it though? <laughs> it's like there's two banks that a bridge has to has to cover, but really the bridge is just one piece. I don't think of a bridge as having two pieces. Do you? <laughs> it's a good point. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, hey, baby, I'm letting you be queen of Arendelle. Shouldn't that be enough? Do you also have to be an immortal being like me? <laughs> we can still be friends. Yeah. We can still play charades. <laughs> poorly. We can still poorly play charades. Well, there's no way to play it good. To be fair, that's an that's an evil game. Yeah, you can you can tell they're rich white people because they like to play charades. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> that's a that's a um that's a stereotype about wasps. Is it they like to play charades? Yeah, oh. I don't know what that is. I mean, I'm not a wasp. I, I guess I I guess I kind of am, but the the farmers uh, my ancestry is not high class, so charades wouldn't be something we did. Anyway, um, I, I just I, I felt I felt like that entire that entire sequence needed another ten minutes of development. I needed somebody to explain what it meant, um, but I felt like they just kind of let it go because they figured <laughs> it, it had made its emotional point. She's a she's telling it to show itself, but really, what she needs is to show herself. Right. Yeah. Which I think there's a lyric in there about that. You know. Where where it kind of sw- switches where she's singing to herself, you know, show yourself as who you truly are or whatever. But I thought that was pretty clever. I guess. I mean, she she says that thing at the before the first chorus. I've always been a fortress, cold secrets deep inside. You have secrets too, but you don't have to hide. And that that's where I kind of turned on the song 
too. I was like, oh God, it's just going to be more of this um, <laughs> therapy stuff. That's the era we've entered. You know, we've been calling it the imperial era, but I feel like <laughs> it's the therapy fr- era. <laughs> fr- Frozen Ford is the therapeutical era, therapeutical era of um, <laughs> of Disney films. Think about it. Like Frozen is all about being yourself or whatever, like showing your emotions. Ralph breaks the internet is about your insecurities not getting in the way of your relationships. This movie is about God knows what, but it's got a lot of therapy language. <laughs> then you've got um, uh, Encanto is about generational trauma and stuff. I feel like I, I feel like watching all of these movies is like sitting in on a rich person sitting in a therapist's office. <laughs> I don't mean that as a compliment. <laughs> You're, I mean, I, you were a high school guidance counselor, so you might feel, or middle school guidance counselor, so you might feel less, um, less hostile toward that whole thing than I do. But it, 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 it really started to grate on me after a while that you have this kind of fairy tale environment. You have this very literally elemental thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Water, earth, uh, air, and fire, and th- this incredibly powerful elemental magic. And really, what they need is just to talk about their feelings. <laughs> Oh, you know, the fire sprite. The problem with the fire sprite is that nobody's ever loved it. I I, I really found that um I really found that kind of tedious. Yeah, I hear you. I think um yeah. I don't know how much like the I think there is a real just pendulum swing type deal in the culture, you know, and we should have had uh, Charles Hackney on or something to talk about this. You know? Yeah. Somebody with a, with a psychological background. Yeah. And I mean, he wrote a book that I started reading and didn't finish and that's not a slide on him. That's a slide on my lack of, of focus and, and ability to use my time. Well, um, kind of about like tracing the, some of the history of, you know, between Christianity and, and uh, pop psychology and, uh, or positive psychology, I guess, not pop psychology. Um, and, but, I, I do think that you know there was there was a time uh, in the in the not too distant past actually where where Christians were extremely skeptical of any sort of therapeutic language or emotional language or anything like that. Right. Um, probably to a fault, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Because I'm not I'm not against therapy. I've been to therapy. I found it helpful. Yeah, um, but I think you're right in that the pendulum has swung so far that. Uh, this sort of therapy language or talk about your feelings or, or whatever has almost become a new gospel for us, you know, and not just for us, but for the world in general, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you can, you can maximize your full potential and your life and, and all this stuff, you know, if you just, you know, work these things out and, you know, uh, get in touch, play cabbage patch dolls with your inner child or whatever. Um, <laughs> and like, like the, I think there are elements of of truth in there, you know, but it is it has, you know, um, you know, a, a good thing when it when it gets overplayed becomes a bad thing, you know. Well, when, and, when and it, I, I think you see the shallowness of that particular approach when you compare it to something as foundational as the four elements, right? That like. This thing that is at the heart of physical reality and spiritual reality, the 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 four elements in this um in this in this cosmology, when it gets when it gets tied up with therapeutic language, it just makes the therapeutic language look so weak mm-hmm. to me. 
You know what I mean? When when magic is mostly about self-actualization. As right. opposed and to being something dangerous that can be used for good or used for evil. But now, like, all we have to say about it is, well, as long as you know, you know who you are. Or as long as you've learned to accept yourself. As long as you've 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 learned where you come from and you've gone away from the bad things your ancestors did. Well, then you have total control of magic. Or what is it she says? That fear is the only real danger. Right. Well, is it though, or is it that there is something at the heart of reality that that can be used well, but also is, you know, dangerous, like actually dangerous, and not just because you're afraid of it. Maybe you have reasons to be afraid of the ultimate reality of the universe. Yeah, and I like the way you're you're phrasing that as the ultimate reality, because I think then at that point, um, you know, to 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 go back to, you know, the gospel or Christianity or stuff, you know, like if if for you know for christians you know what we believe as 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 ultimate reality i think when you put that therapeutic language next to it it does become very weak sauce you know mm -hmm. and i think i think that's the danger is is taking these these things that are not necessarily they're not evil they're just neutral you know but they're not um I, I, speaking of therapeutic language here, right? Like I would say therapeutic language is not an evil. No, 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 absolutely. But, but like uh, it, it does, you know, you put it against the gospel and it is weak sauce, you know? It's a half but God, I, right? Yes, yeah. But I feel like in our, <clears throat> I feel like it's a, it's a very, even as a half God, it is, it is very alluring is what I would say. Because, yeah. I mean, if it wasn't alluring, we wouldn't have so many, um, and I mean, I'm not trying to get too far into the weeds and like our Christian subcultures here, you know, but I, I do feel like there's a, there's a sense that I have at least from the stuff that I, you know, read on the internet or whatever, you know, it's not like I have a real pulse on everything, but there's like, I don't know, there, there's this sense of like that, that therapeutic language has become a little bit overwrought as far as, or overused as far as like this, you know, this is the way, um, to, to live a full life versus, um, you know, uh, you know, Christ's words of, you know, I've come to give you life and life abundant. You know, like we, we feel like life abundant is that self actual actualization. Mm -hmm. I, I did. I had no idea that we we're going to go here. I might be a little more articulate on it. No, no, that's okay. I really should, we should really should text each other before the show to try to figure out what we're going to talk about. <laughs> should have some concept of what it's, we're going to say. It's really fun that we don't, I just, uh, sometimes I feel like, Oh, maybe, you know, but possibly I wouldn't be any more articulate, honestly. <laughs> I, so, like, compare the magic in this movie to the magic even in Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a, a, a book series with, I, th I think, pretty strong Christian echoes. I wouldn't call it a Christian book series or anything like that. I think people are silly to be worried about it to the extent anybody still is. But yeah. the magic in Harry Potter is a kind of, like, deep universe-level dangerous thing that can nevertheless be used for good. Mm -hmm. I don't get that feeling with the magic in um, in Frozen. The, the magic in Frozen is something you can harness by um, by talking it out with your analyst. <laughs> and, and there's no magic in Frozen that you shouldn't use, right? There's nothing that is off limits. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know anything about the uh, particular cosmological or religious beliefs of the Sami people. So maybe that's maybe that's legitimate. Maybe that's what they believe magic is. 
but it sounds a lot to me like something you would believe magic is if you're using magic as a metaphor for therapy. Yeah. Or ma magic as a metaphor for the subconscious. Yeah. Well, and on that point, I kind of want to go back to what you said a moment ago, um, you know, about the Sami people and, uh, you know, this, that we need this bridge between a magic world and uh, and our human world, you know, and like I don't know, <laughs> it's the Christmas season, you know, so I guess the incarnation is like on my mind. But like, I wonder, you know, if there, if, if there's a way in which you could find echoes of the incarnation in that, but I mean, obviously, I'm not seeing that in this movie at all, but like, you know, um, a bridge in a person between that ultimate reality and our reality, you know? Yeah, I mean, isn't it interesting that you don't see it in this movie, given that both this movie and the other movie involve somebody dying and coming back to life. And yet it's hard to read them, especially this one. It's hard well, to, and this it, movie, I go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, like, you didn't go ahead. Also, what is different at the end of this movie? Like, I understand like we've, we freed these people, this handful of people who are who are caught in the mist, right? Um, and there's you've some made peace of, between these two long feuding people groups. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's 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 good. But like, I just don't understand what her being this bridge between magic and us has actually done. Yeah, or what she's you know? doing with her time now, besides like riding a wet horse around the woods. Yeah, it's a, a water it, horse. Yeah. So it seems like what they they I I understand uh you know they're trying to look for the truth and right this historical wrong and and stuff but like I'm not seeing the I mean we've talked about this so many times like the it's the Fisher King myth right like the land suffers because of the evil of the king or the weakness of the king or the sin of the king or however you want to put it right Right, right. And in this movie, it's there. I mean, it's the king's bad decision making or sin uh, that has, you know, brought this darkness on on the people. But it's not on his people. <laughs> it's on the. I mean, it's kind of on his his people. It's the you know the soldiers who got left over. But Arendelle is still, you know, a, a relatively happy like fine place at the beginning of the movie, and it's a relatively happy fine place at the end of the movie. You know, like. And, and, I, and they don't even they don't even make the brave decision to destroy Arendelle, which is where it seems it's going. They let you have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. You know, the, the thing I was thinking about um, is uh, there's there's a book and a movie. Um, there's a book first called Holes. Have you read that uh -huh. one? Or yeah, something? yeah. With uh, it's Louis Sackar, right? Or Sackar, yeah, yeah. Yes. However you pronounce his name, the Sideways yeah. Stories from Wayside School guy. Yes, yes. Sideways Stories from Wayside School. He wrote. I, I, I just think it's a brilliant book. I just, I love uh, the book Holes. I mean, it's, a, it's a Middle Ages. It won the Newbery Award. It's like, I mean, it's, it's not a an adult, uh, you know, high class novel or anything. But I, I just, I think he's, he's a brilliant storyteller. And in that story, he's got a very similar thing happening. Um, as what I think this story is trying to do in that there's been this ancient um, rift that needs to be healed. And there, the, 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 the things that happened in the past are affecting the present day. And the way he tells the story bounces between the past and the present. And, um, and, you know, they're figuring out things in the present, you know, that are helping unlock your understanding of the past. And, you know, and uh, the whole thing is the, the story begins with 
<clears throat> it's such a great opening line. Uh, there is no lake at Camp Green Lake, you know, and the whole reason why there's no lake is because there's been a drought for a hundred of a hundred years because of this terrible, um, you know, crime that was done in the past. And then, you know, at the end, it starts to rain. Like it's the first time it's rained in a hundred years, you know? And so you see how, okay, this wrong was righted and it actually fixed something, actually did something. Right. Like that's fairy tale logic, right? Yeah. That's fairy tale logic. And it's, and he does it brilliantly. And I feel like the way that he bounces between the, the, the past and the, and the present, it's all, it's exactly what this movie is trying to do. And there, but like, there's no rain at the end in this movie, you know, like it doesn't rain and like, it doesn't do anything. There's no, there's, there's no fundamental change. Um, you know, the spirits come back, but like, they were there at the beginning of the movie too, you know? Right. Yeah. Like it's, like, not, it's, it's not like there was there was no fountains or no lights or the you know the the rocks, uh the you know the beautiful brick pathways of the, of Arendelle were all torn up like they were all torn up at the beginning of the movie they weren't torn up, you know twenty five years or thirty years or whatever that original rift was supposed to happen you know it's like why is this all happening now and then what did you like you repaired it but I I don't know it just right. it didn't it didn't make it all through. And it's not torn up as an expression of the pain of the earth. It's torn up to get people to leave it so that they can destroy the dam and destroy the and and it'll destroy the city. Right. Without worrying about destroying the people. So there's I mean, I, I get that it's a, a children's cartoon, so you can't have the kind of stakes where like human lives are at stake, at stake and Anna is going to go break the dam because that's what needs to happen, even if it kills right. a bunch of people in Arendelle. But that's why I brought up Holes. Like Holes is a children's novel, you know? Like, there's ways that you can do this story for children in a way that makes sense, <laughs> you know? Right, right. <laughs> Did we talk about Frozen as being Fisher King? I don't remember if we talked about Frozen as being Fisher King, but we've talked about it several yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, I know it, it comes up a lot. But, like, Fr- Frozen's an interesting Fisher King because if it's if it's the Fisher King, the issue is not that the king is dead. It's that the king hasn't accepted himself or herself in this case. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we're back to that kind of namby-pamby therapeutic language. Once she accepts herself, then Arendelle can live in peace. This one is at least a little more interesting than that, right? It is something a little more elemental than just the queen's feelings about herself. But it's not much more interesting. It's not much deeper than that. Yeah. Mm. I should read Holes. I've never read it. Oh, yeah. That I came out. Um, I was... I was too old. I know, I know you're older than I am, but I, you, you taught middle school and, and you didn't read that when you were a kid, right? Cause no, no. Yeah. I came out when we were in high school or college. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was a fifth grade teacher, I would teach that one. And Victoria I, loves that book. So um, it must be pretty good. All right. I'm, gl- oh, I'm glad I got, you know, I'm in good company there. <laughs> I love uh, Sudway Stories from Wayside School. When's Disney going to buy that property and destroy it? I can't believe they haven't. I mean, they... There, when you said there is no lake at Camp Green Lake, all I could think of is there is no 13th floor. There is no Miss Sarves. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a, it, I mean, it's definitely got his vibe, you know. He's, those wayside stories are, are even younger, you know. Like, they're more like, mm, I don't know, like third grade or something. You know? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But they're, so, they're but, so wild, right? Like, the rules of the logic of those stories is so bizarre. Yeah, 
and hilarious. I and I, I think I, to, to try to bring this back to Frozen 2, although I would almost rather talk about Sunday stories from my side <laughs> school for the next 20 minutes. To, to try to bring it back, um, I think that's kind of what they're going for with um, Olaf's song, right? Is that some things are not going to make sense even when you get older, that in, in some ways the world is inscrutable. Mm-hmm. Except there's nothing inscrutable in this movie. Except for the movie. Right, right. But in, with, within the universe of the movie, everything does seem to make sense to everybody. Like right. there, there are these very easy solutions. Right. There, no, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing in the reality of the universe that is inconceivable the way they're trying to make it. Mm-hmm. It seems like they probably just wanted a song for Olaf to sing because everybody loved In Summer. Well, and that's the that's the feeling I got from it is it's just a different version of In Summer. Like in Summer, he's singing, you know, he wants, you know, it's ridiculous because obviously a snowman is never going to experience summer. Uh, except now he does. Except now he does because he's magical and and yeah, I get that. But like, you know, that's that's the irony of the song is that a snowman can't experience summer, but that's his one desire and one wish to do, you know, and and he's his, you know, you're you're laughing at at how naive he is. And so I, I felt like this was the same thing. Like, oh, you're like, he thinks that once you're older, you don't have to think about important things anymore and everything makes sense to you and it all makes sense when you're older and how naive that is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Except except, except here's the big difference is the the first one uh, in summer, um, a child would understand and get and laugh at. And in the second one, the child might actually agree with Olaf. You right. know, the child right. doesn't actually know that being an adult doesn't bring clarity on on everything. So, this movie does very much seem to be pitched at adults in a way that I find distasteful is going too far, just unappealing. Right. And we've, yeah, I think we've discussed this over time as well about how, you know, for whatever reason, America developed this culture of, you know, animated movies are made for kids and specifically Disney animated canon movies are, you know, even though it didn't start that way, you know, like Snow White wasn't pitched at kids, but like at some point we reached that level. And so now it's kind of like, well, you have to work with it. You have to live with it. Right. Right. I feel like most of the last five or six movies have been pitched at like 35 year old women. Right. Which um, is interesting because that's, you know, that's all post Pixar, which I feel like Pixar really wanted to push that boundary early on as well, you know, um, or maybe continues to want to push that boundary. Like we're not making movies for kids. We're making the movies that we want to see. Right. And if they happen to be G rated, like that's fine. You know, adults can enjoy G rated movies as well as they can enjoy R rated movies, you know, like being, being rated R or whatever doesn't, doesn't make it a better story or a better movie, you know, um, which is which is all true, right? I mean that that's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing. And wrong I'm not with even that. really criticizing these for being pitched more toward adults because it's not like kids don't love them. My God, kids love Frozen. Mm-hmm. Even today, I last week I asked this little girl at Carpool's eighth grade, eight, eight year old, not eighth grader, eight year old, what her uh, what her favorite Disney princess was because she was wearing some Disney princess merchandise and she said Elsa. Mm-hmm. Did you let her know that Elsa is not actually a Disney princess? Is that true? Oh yeah, she's not officially part of the line. She's like, well, actually, actually, sweetheart, she's a queen. <laughs> and, and actually, she abdicated her queenness, so she's, you know she's what, actually an element. Do you know what abdication is, baby? It means she gave up. <laughs> Although I guess she's some other kind of queen now, maybe. 
I didn't get that from the movie. I got that from the Wikipedia page that she is now actually the Snow Queen. Oh, really? Yeah. The problem with that is, like, ice can't be the fifth element because ice is just water. <laughs> so I started to think, well, maybe ice is maybe ice represents different <laughs> forms of the other three elements, right? Because you know it's frozen water or it's wet earth. Maybe you could think of it that way, especially in the mm-hmm. ancient world. People did sometimes think of it that way, or maybe it's um, I don't know how it could be fire or air, but I I don't know that that part really was not very well explained. But it's not a mystery, as in oh, there's some things that are above human comprehension, and so even when you're older, you'll never understand it. It's we didn't bother to explain this. Um, because we don't want you asking questions while you're watching this. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the bad so. kind of mystery. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I I was wondering too if there and I was primed to think this way because um my daughter and I are reading a book right now uh called um Alcatraz versus the Evil Librarians, which is a it's it's pretty fun. What a great title. Um, yeah, very great title. And uh, it's a series. And in that, in that, um, there are yeah these talents that people have. And there are, there are four known talents or like four ways that uh, I, I don't want to get too in the weeds here. But anyway, there's it's it's very elemental like that, you know, like there's four things like your talents can affect time or they can affect space or they can affect whatever. I forget what the, the all four are. But then like this, you know, main character, of course, has this like bridging one that's like in the middle you know of all four and so his talent can affect all four in some way and so i i was primed to think that maybe they're going there like maybe she's gonna you know her element somehow does do what you're saying like it, it somehow affects you know water fire air and earth all together at the same time but they again they just didn't explain it or maybe it's like heart from captain planet the most oh. important of the planeteers mati there you who, go. Who could talk to animals or something, I think, is what Hart was supposed to be. Yes. There you go. Now you've... I love it when you bring in Captain Planet, Michael. I mean, that's... We the, really need to talk more about Captain Planet. <laughs> it's one of, the, one of the worst things human beings have ever made. No, he's my hero. He's going to bring pollution down. If you think enough about Captain Planet, none of the bad movies we've talked about will seem bad, right? Like, <laughs> Home on the Range... Home on the Range is Citizen Kane compared to Captain Planet. The the main bad guy in Captain Planet, for those of our listeners who haven't seen it or don't remember, the main bad guy, his name is Luton Plunder. Um, you will recognize that Luton is not a name, but they're using it as a name so that they can have a pun on loot and a plunder. His name is Luton. Luton. What do you think you're doing, naming your kid Luton? What sort of person do you think he's going to grow up to be? Hoggish Greedly? Do you remember him? <laughs> Verminous Scum? What don't I know? Because I remember the names of all the bad guys on Captain Planet. <laughs> this is a better movie than any particular episode of Captain Planet. I'll, I'll, I will say that. Like, Really, everything about it is better than everything about any particular episode of Captain Planet. Oh, man. I want to talk a little bit about the music, which we, we, we've kind of touched on, but there, there is one song in particular that I think is really um, supremely good, which is the uh, the next right thing, mm-hmm. which has got to be the darkest Disney song since that one that um, that the Archbishop sings in uh, in Hunchback <laughs> of Notre Dame about going to hell. Like, <laughs> it's a it's a song about just like total existential collapse not knowing what to do, not having anything left to do, and just doing whatever you can do to stay alive. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's it's really, really well done and not exactly what I would have expected, even from a movie as dark as this. Yeah, I uh, I agree. This is uh, the, um, <clears throat> you know, every once in a while, um, Disney seems to stumble into a, a song with a with a with an actually really good message, I feel like. Um, dig a little deeper in uh, in. Um, Princess and the Frog. And Princess and the Frog was another one. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this is pretty, like, this is pretty spot on, you know? Like, I I, I have no, I, I didn't I didn't read through all the lyrics. I, I just, you know, watched the movie. But so maybe maybe I would find something to critique if I actually pulled up the lyrics. And but it's like put somewhere. one foot in front of the other and yeah, just like, do like, something. Yeah, how can you be against that, you know? Do whatever tiny thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I really liked that song, but I liked um pretty much all the songs. I thought the um the lullaby that the mother sings them mm-hmm. was a was a really compelling song, and ended up being important for the movie as in as much as anything is important for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yep, I I agree. I felt like the music was was all really good. I don't know that um you know it's hard when you have a sequel and especially a sequel like this where it's so different than the original. I guess the you know you you want to compare you know one to the other it's kind of the natural thing to do so i i don't know that i prefer this soundtrack to the frozen soundtrack or you know which way i but i would say in the same way that this movie appears to be at least attempting to be a little deeper a little darker um it succeeds in the same way with with the soundtrack it is less jokey than the first soundtrack was yes which yeah. um, I think ultimately is probably a good thing. I, 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 as I recall, I found the the soundtrack to the original movie right. a little too jokey, a little too glib. Right. Yeah. So there's no love is an open door moment, um, either in the jokiness or in the. I mean, I just I, that song like it just I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's undeniable. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did. I didn't feel like there was any uh, undeniable is a great word for it. I didn't, I didn't feel like there was any undeniable song in this one, but I did feel like I mean they wrote their songs for the voices of uh, their you know their singers and it hits really well. I mean, into the unknown is obviously you know meant to be. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very even visually the, similar to Let It Go. And it's, you know, it's it's mo- it meant it's meant to highlight uh, Menzel's voice. And yeah, it, it does very well at that, you know. Is it a better song than Let It Go? Is it a less annoying song than Let It Go? I would say absolutely. <laughs> that is but is it low, is it actually less annoying or jump. is it just that you've heard it one eight hundredth as many times? Well, I think we talked about this during our Frozen episode. I really dislike the message of Let It Go. Right. Yeah. You you and, you have the same problem with that that you have with like Hakuna Montada, right? That it's a right. It's a song that actually goes against the message of the movie. Yes. And so Into the Unknown, I actually, um, which actually Into the Unknown. <laughs> It's a little weird. I like I like it as a song. I'll say that I like it as a song. Um, it starts in a place where I'm like, man, it really seems like Elsa did not learn a single thing from Frozen because it starts in a place of I'm just going to ignore this voice. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna smother it and bury it, you know, which is exactly what she was doing with her magical powers in the first movie and leading everything into ruin because of it, right? Um, I'm not going to listen to this voice. I'm going to, I'm going to pretend I don't even hear it. Um, but then by the end of the song, she comes around. So it's good. There's, there's a good arc in that song. I feel like. Yeah, I can go along with that. 
Um, I'm not sure why they had Panic at the Disco Singer. <laughs> no, me neither. Like, I, I didn't know that people still listen to them. I did like the Casey Musgraves version of All It's Found. Yeah. And then you just got to turn the movie off before Weezer comes in. <laughs> Are listeners to this podcast aware of how much I hate Weezer? <laughs> I don't know if they are. I definitely am aware uh, of how much you hate like Weezer. I, I feel so like... As soon as I heard Weezer, because it's... Und- I mean, that's... Love or hate Weezer, they are also unmistakable. Like, <laughs> their sound is is undeniable. Like, you can hear like you hear it and you're like, oh, that's Weezer. And I was like, why is this Weezer right now? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? What is happening? Yeah. Um, but I guess Weezer was kind of on an upswing in 2019. Were they? Is that when that awful covers album came out? Maybe. It's got to be in that in that neighborhood, right? I, I would think so. I oh gosh, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I I'm the even only person we, even born Weird in Al can't redeem Weezer for you. Weezer. What's that? I said even Weird Al couldn't redeem Weezer for you. In in what Skipper Dan? No, he's in the music video for that uh, for um, uh, Africa Totoro, whatever that song is. I'm glad to say I've never seen the video for Toto's cover of Africa. Yeah, or Weezer's cover of Toto's Africa. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. No, I, I messed it up first, so I messed you up by messing it up first. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to say that I've never seen that music video for the least uh, necessary cover version of all time. Like, who yeah. was asking for that? Except people actually were asking for that. Um, like, people were literally going online and asking for it, which is insane <laughs> to me. <laughs> I really I really guess I, I don't understand um, what motivates people. Because <laughs> anybody who could want such a thing would is just like inexplicable to me. It, that is the true mystery. That is something I will not understand even when I'm older. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering about what what's the center of the Venn diagram of pa- Panic at the Disco, Casey Musgraves, and Weezer. <laughs> right, right, and Frozen Two viewers. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that, I mean maybe all, they're trying to get more choices. people to come see the movie because they want to hear the Weezer cover of that song. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Maybe. Oh Lord. I know we touched on Lost in the Woods a little bit. I I got to say I was a little. It's fine. I would say it, it, of the songs in this movie, it's the most fine. And I yeah, was, it's, I was it's actually, also the one that has the least to do with the movie. It does, but I was also wanting a little... I mean, I know Jonathan Groff is a really great singer, and I didn't feel like it highlighted him the way the other songs like highlight Kristen Bell and... Uh, I don't know how you pronounce Menzel's first name. Adina. Adina. Adina, Adina Menzel. But maybe maybe that's not fair. <clears throat> I just I, I felt like it was very internet and and th- that was a complaint I had about some things about the first movie too but like the 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 part where a, a lot of that sequence of the movie is just oh I get that reference there's mm-hmm. nothing particularly interesting about it it doesn't do anything in the context of the movie it doesn't comment on those things like the the scene from Bohemian Rhapsody where where it's him flanked by the three the three reindeer singing is a is a shot from the Bohemian Rhapsody video. But what's mm-hmm. it there for other than to make you say, oh, I remember that video. Right. It's the it's like the weakest form of parody. It's the the scary movie style 
parody where it's just like it, it's just a visual reference to something without any kind of insight into it. Right. You know it makes I mean? you wonder. It makes you wonder how it'll hold up over time when when that stuff is like nobody recognizes that stuff, you know, yeah. or very few people do. Like, will it? Will it? Uh, <laughs> I always go back to Jungle Book on that one, you know, because like growing up watching Jungle Book, you know, even actually until we watched the movie, and you told me like, you know, that Baloo is basically uh, what's his name? Who plays Phil Blue? Harris. Yeah, Phil Harris. Like, it's just Phil Harris doing Phil Harris. Like, I never knew that. Right, you know? but it, like, it holds up because the character is so well-drawn and, and right. it's so um, so funny. Yeah, and so will Lost in the Woods hold up like that for, you know, 20 years from now? People watch, or gosh, I guess uh, I guess uh, Jungle Book's like 50 years old now at this point. But Yeah, but when you first saw it, it was 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. At some point, we probably also need to talk about the kind of politics of this movie, as un- as unpleasant as uh, talking about them will be. Okay, so if the movie starts, and it's very early. I can't remember how early in the movie it is, but it's very early in the movie that uh, they talk about um, we built a dam as a peace treaty with this indigenous people group. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't, like where that's like, going. that doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> um, that doesn't seem like you had any real understanding of what you were getting into when you were making treaties with these people, um, like what they would what they would expect or want. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I guess there's a real dam in Norway that that's a shot at. Yeah, that's a, that's what Wikipedia tells me. <laughs> I don't know anything about I don't know anything about Norwegian. Uh, politics or Norwegian Aboriginal groups, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think it's also probably meant to evoke the um, what's the what's the the pipeline that goes through the native land that was such a big deal five the years ago. Keystone. Was that yeah, it? the Keystone. I think it must be trying to to pull that in. That stuff didn't bother me. It, it's almost like they couldn't commit to it enough to really make it grading. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean like they 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 kind of wave at that and then they don't actually make the movie about that enough to to really be either annoying or thrilling right it's the, the kind of little 2016 to 2020 resistance stuff that bothered me there's the line where where olaf says this is fine which is a reference to that anti-trump internet meme and look i mean our listeners if they've been listening for five years will know that neither of you no, neither knew you nor i like uh like Trump at all, right? But um, still, throwing the "this is fine" into a into a children's movie was annoying. And the the one that really bothered me was when Kristoff's um, like, "My love's not fragile." Mm. Oh, like give me a break! Oh, <laughs> right. It felt a little fragile inside Lost in the Woods. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> It, it, you know, I had heard people love that line though, because you know what I do. Oh, do they I, really? Well, because I always Google, uh, or I actually use DuckDuckGo. I mean, we're not sponsored by anybody, but you know, Duck, Duck, <laughs> DuckDuckGo Duck, wants to throw if, some money if, our if way. You'd like to, yeah, if you'd like to sponsor us, that's what I actually use. Um, I just use the verb Google when I mean search something on the internet because I don't know why. Um, anyway, 
some people might think I have a photographic memory and I just watch these movies once and then come up with our clever openings. But no, actually, I, you know, I go on the Internet and look for quote sites so I can I can pull these things out a um, little, little peek behind the scenes. Um, and it's like inspirational quotes from Frozen. <laughs> and it's like my love is not fragile. My love is not. Fra- it's on every single one. So that is like that's such a lame line. Oh, it's very is it not? Michael. Am I way off? Do you think do you not think that's lot That's lame. I mean, according to the internet. <laughs> the same people who were begging for the Weezer cover of Soto. <laughs> That's right. It is interesting. I mean, we, you know, I, I think we talked at the beginning of, the, uh, of every episode about how we're trying to play this, like, healthy role in the ecosystem between art and fandom and criticism. And I do think that stuff like that is, like, the dark side of, like, fan culture in a way. Yeah. Like, not the darkest side of fan culture, because there's some really dark stuff out there. But, like, there is a bit of an echo chamber, I feel like, between um, what is being created and, you know, what's happening in the movie. I mean, even, uh, you know, going back to, you know, uh, the retelling of Frozen in a funny way, which does feel very like something that you see in a Marvel movie. But before you see it in a Marvel movie, I think you'd see it on, like, YouTube channels or, like, fan fan Mm -hmm. videos you know, that are like, you know, slightly mocking and slightly loving a movie, you know, and like these things all feed into each other in this weird, like echo chamber way that it does make you wonder or makes me wonder at least, you know, like, are we headed to (laughs) an eventual place, you know, very similar to Ralph breaks the internet, you know, where it's just Ralph's head on every meme, like, you know, like, I, I don't know, there's just, the memification of everything in our culture and you're right the way that the, then those memes pop up in in our movies like uh i don't know what the equivalent is you know is is phil harris doing phil harris the equivalent of that or not or is this a whole new realm that we're entering and it's it's uh it's just a negative spiral downward you know yeah well the fans have too much power right he said on a podcast that talks about the disney <laughs> and <a> mini canon <laughs> yeah so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I mean, to be fair, we have no power. <laughs> Nobody's listening. <laughs> I tune um. out. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so yeah, I just I, I I don't know. I think I think that is interesting. The I I wish I had more to say about that. I f- I feel like that's actually an interesting like cultural commentary that you could maybe make if you were, you know, well well uh, well well-spoken or something, but I'm not, so. <laughs> well, I'm I'm at least glad to hear that you also found this movie frustrating. Yeah, and like I said, I wanted to like it. I think that's the most frustrating thing about it. It's like, I, I, I wanted to like it, you know? Um, so, but it's fine. I mean, we, we've got a, you know, we've got a few more movies coming up and I, I feel like we're kind of on a, uh, you know, some hits and some misses and um the 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 ones that we've got coming up now are are all ones that i enjoy and and also you know another little peek behind the curtain like um i mean i think i said before like i hadn't ever seen this movie and uh you know the the next two coming up um ryan the last dragon and encanto i've seen several times and there is a way in which when you watch a movie several times you either love it more and more or <clears throat> despise it more and more and and those those have both grown on me so maybe if my kids had loved frozen 2 um then i i would have my money more positive things to say about it you know 
But actually, Josh, Ryan, the last dragon isn't last. Next, we have to do something to mark the end of the 2010s. Have we decided what on earth we're doing for them? Um, we have not decided. I don't know if we want to decide live on air or <laughs> if we want to wait um, and not, you know, we've had enough curtain pulling back for uh, for this episode. <laughs> I think I think we should probably decide off the air and we can let our uh, let, our listeners can tune in next month and find out uh without any kind of warning. Yeah, that's great. Why not? I mean, there's plenty of times. I mean, there's there's several pop culture podcasts that I follow and, you know, I'll I'll see the title of what they're discussing and then I'll go watch it and then I'll listen to the podcast. So, I imagine Well, I, I rather that, suspect we're not the only podcast people are listening to. Oh, you don't what? <laughs> <laughs> they probably have other ones they can listen to while they go and watch whatever movie we're that's probably also true. Or they could probably also just listen to us without watching the movie. Yeah, I I don't know how entertaining that would be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how entertaining it is, even if you have seen the movie. To be fair. Oh man, we've been down on ourselves today. We need to we need to pick it up around here. We need to self actualize, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I really just need to accept myself. Listen, Michael, you are one end of the bridge, <laughs> and I'm the other. <laughs> What are we? What gap are we bridging exactly? <laughs> a gap from Atlanta to Greenville. That's right. <laughs> I eighty five. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna wrap this up here. So, do, do, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. We're on the old interwebs, uh, sort of, at beforetheywere.live and christianhumanist.org. You can help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. Please do that. Honestly, please do that. The only emails I get there are are spam people wanting to uh, write posts on our website that doesn't really exist or be guests on our show. Um, So, yeah, please reach out. we also want to encourage you to set your podcast players' dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending time on. So thank you ever so much for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman Chauffeur. Don't give up. Take it one step at a time. Do the next right thing. <laughs>